Good morning, your sister. The man I'm about to call has been speaking to us and ministered to us for the past three or four days. He's a father of three and is a doctor of biblical studies and is a minister of the word. Amen. Can we welcome to the podium Reverend Dr. Justin? Amen. You can be seated. Thank you all for the warm welcome. It's good to be back with you. I was here last year and I just could not wait to come back. So I'm honored to be here. Thankful for the chaplain and the hospitality that you have shown me. And uh, it's just a privilege. And so um, I'm from uh, the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, we call that place Babylon. And we are close to um, a lot of activity, a lot of things. And so we minister to college students. We minister on the streets. We try to proclaim the gospel wherever we are. Amen. Go ahead and flip to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I am going to be preaching what um, I really the last session, if you will, of our Bible conference, and we've been talking about the Great Commission, and so today we're going to talk, talk about Moloch worship. Have you ever heard a sermon on Moloch worship? <laughs> it's in the Old Testament, it's in a lot of places, so I want to address what that means in context with um, our call to disciple the nations. So, Moloch is spelled M-O-L-O-C-H. There's a lot of variations, as we'll see in a minute. But I want to look at Deuteronomy 18. Verses 9 through 14. And then I will read Leviticus 18, 21. But first, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have come before you asking and praying that you would give us understanding and help us as we seek to honor you by opening up your word. May your spirit... Give us grace for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the Great Commission in the world. May the nations bow before you in Christ's name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 says this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you must not learn to imitate the abhorrent practices of those nations. No one shall be found among you who makes a son or daughter pass through fire Note that, because I'm going to come to it in Leviticus, or who practices divination, or is a soothsayer, or an augur, or a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or who consults ghosts or spirits, or who seeks oracles from the dead. For whoever does these things is abhorrent to the Lord. It is because of such abhorrent practices that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You must remain completely loyal to the Lord your God. Although these nations that you are about to dispossess do give heed to soothsayers and diviners, as for you, the Lord your God does not permit you to do so. And listen to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. You shall not give any of your offspring to sacrifice them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Amen? 
If I were to ask you what you thought the greatest threat to the gospel is in our world today, what might you say? What is the greatest threat to the gospel? Notwithstanding our own problems in the church today, what do you think outside of the church, outside of Christianity, outside the realm of the people of God, what is the single greatest threat to the advancement of the kingdom of God? What might you say? The other night we spoke about the great antithesis of history. There's this war between righteousness and unrighteousness, justice and injustice, or what we've been discussing, man's autonomy, man's desire to be a law unto himself, versus theonomy, which is God's law. There's a war between these worldviews. Now, given the fact that we have talked about it, not I know everyone here today, not everyone was there, um, but we have talked about these concepts, and I think the issue, the, the answer to that question, what is the threat, I think it's very easy to identify given these opposing ideologies, these opposing philosophies that we see out in the world. And I also think it's easy to identify given the fact that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the world. We've had two great world wars with tremendous loss of life. And we've had highly toxic statist governments destroy the lives of millions and millions and hundreds of millions of people through genocide, through holocausts, and communist rule. We in my country have destroyed nearly 70 million babies in the womb since 1973. It's been a bloody century. What started off as Karl Marx, his labor theory of value, these ideas that started to spread around the world, ended up in places like communist Russia or Cambodia or China and even Vietnam killing hundreds of million people, far more than any religious war. The rise of men like Stalin or Mussolini and Pol Pot and many others quickly became what can obviously be described as the greatest threat to image bearers of God. And the question is, why? Why? What about them? What about these men? What about these ideologies that in, in these philosophies that they represent that cause so much destruction and so much desolation in the world in the past 100 to 200 years? What is it about these ideas that makes men oppress other men and kill them? I think the answer is found in the passages that I just read. The greatest threat outside of the church of Jesus Christ is Molech. Molech worship, what we call the divine state. See, Christianity, Christianity insists on things like individual liberty, things like private property, uh, the right and duty of private judgment. Each of you have the right and duty and responsibility of going before God. You have access to God because of Jesus Christ. You go before God, you go into his word, and you have the right and responsibility to discern between good and evil. You have his word. It's understandable. It's intelligible. 
It is there for you to master. Whatever you're studying at university, know this. You need to master the Bible. Memorize it. So we, as Christians, believe in a service-based ethic, right? A decentralized governance in every area of life. We insist on individual liberty, individual responsibility. We insist on justice. Uh, We don't like rulers who are wicked because it goes against Christianity. See, Moloch, though, Moloch worship is the exact opposite. Again, we have this antithesis, these opposing ideologies. Moloch worship is really at the foundation of all of man's attempts at revolting against the God of the universe. When men, listen, when men and nations turn from God as a ruler, they turn to Moloch who will become their ruler. See, the Bible uses a lot of different terms. Uh, mostly Hebrew variations. It's all over your Bible. I'm sure you've seen these words. Um, Molech, Molech, or Melech. Melech is another version. Um, Milcom, Malcolm. These are variations in the Hebrew Bible of this concept. Um, They're all over the place. The basic meaning is king. When I say Moloch worship, I'm saying king worship as opposed to Jesus Christ worship. See, it has everything to do, this concept of Moloch that that Moses warned against Israel, this this ideology has everything to do with God being a king or, or king, a king, a human king being a god. Now think of Pharaoh. Think of Caesar. These people believe themselves to be God in the flesh, representing humans. This whole concept was a way to heavenize the earth. They were trying to make humanity and divinity become one thing. Now, most of you, you have heard of Baal or Baal. Baal is a word that means Lord. It was the Canaanite god of fertility. And many uh, times Israel was at war with Baal because there was a lot of worship of Baal. Even Gideon was called to deal with such things, if you recall. But Molech is there as well, this false god, this idea that the state, that the king is somehow God and that he's to be a a, a pledged unwavering respect and unwavering worship. Now, in Molech worship, in the Old Testament, humanity could offer up sacrifices to Molech, including the blood sacrifice of children. Leviticus warned not to have your children pass through fire. Literally, these countries, these nations, these people groups would send their children through the flames of fire as a sacrifice. Wickedness. But they would do it. They would sacrifice their children in order to ascend to deity. In order to become like God, you had to kill off your children. Tell me, does that make any sense? No, but it's... A reality. It was a real temptation for Israel. Moses warns, do not follow the nations. Do not follow their ways. I'm going to vomit the Canaanites out of the land because of these things. Don't you follow in those steps. 
All of this was man's attempt to basically bridge the gap between heaven and earth, establishing this oneness of deity in humanity. To worship Moloch, of course, in the scriptures was thus to establish a religion of politics or a politic of religion. It, it, was a, it was a grasping for power and authority and the exaltation of man to become as a god. It was lawlessness. It was wickedness. See, when you made a sacrifice to Moloch or participated in things like necromancy, uh, you know, speaking to the dead, witchcraft, soothsaying, or even sorcery, all these things, when you participated in those activities, you were seeking to make sense of the future. You were trying to understand life. And you were, instead of trusting the God who controls the future, you were trying to do it on your own terms. You, you were attempting to become divine. For only we know the triune God of the universe has infinite knowledge, right? Of all things, past and present and future. He knows it all. Isaiah says he's declared the end from the beginning. So to, so to try and go and, and, and consult a witch or some sort of sorceress was to try to understand the future so that you could become God. See, when Moses speaks of all of these sins of witchcraft and so, so forth, he does so with the intention on demonstrating the absolute idolatrous nature of such pursuits. See, these things were strictly forbidden in covenant Israel because they could bear the fruit of sin and idolatry, and thus it would lead people away from worshiping the true God of the Bible. Moloch worship was not permitted because Moloch worship destroyed the foundations of the Israelite social order. It wasn't just you at your house worshiping Moloch. It was you chipping at the foundation of society and culture. It was an act of treason against God. It was introducing injustice and unrighteousness into the covenant. It was a transgression of God's law. See, now, now the way that this worked itself out is through the vehicle of the king. If you recall, King Solomon, right, the most, uh, the, the, the son of David, Solomon built an altar for Moloch so that all of his foreign wives could worship. And while he himself was not necessarily a participant in the direct worship of Moloch, he was guilty of promoting it. See, this was without exception forbidden in biblical law. You were not to do these things. Whenever a king saw absolute power, what we call a totalitarian dictatorship, this was Molech worship. See, the point here is this. When one worshipped and served Moloch, he was also worshipping and serving the divine state. He was setting up a god in place of God's rulership. And you remember Israel. They wanted a king like all the nations, didn't they? But what did all the nations have as king? Moloch. So God says he acquiesces to their, their desires, and, but he warns them, if you get a king like this, he's going to tax you like crazy, work you to death, and you're basically going to hate life. So good luck. <laughs> See, Moloch is an idolatrous system of, of, of rebellion against God. Moloch desires absolute control over everyone. 
absolute control. This God wants power and authority and jurisdiction over everyone and everything. That's why it's called a false God, because who is the only one that has all authority in heaven and on earth? Jesus Christ. So that's why it's a false God. It's, a, it's a clearly a violation of the very first commandment. Thou shalt have what? No other gods. Stop trying to make gods. There is one God. See, in, in my nation, and I'm afraid it's happening in yours as well, Moloch is sort of mocked as this, well, that's just like an ancient thing that a bunch of weird people who were out of their mind did. <laughs> so, there, you know, there's no application for today. Why would you be preaching on Moloch worship? That's weird. None of us follow Moloch. We're not even sure, like, I, it's been a while since I've even heard that name. Why, why, why are you talking to us about Moloch? Well, let me tell you. The reality is, it is entirely applicable for today. This passage in Deuteronomy is entirely, entirely applicable today. Moloch might be an outdated name, but the concept still applies today. We call this today something else, something like totalitarianism. See, totalitarianism expresses itself through the means of both things like fascism, like Nazi Germany, and communism, like modern-day China. Um, both systems of thought have socialism as their economic impulse. But the larger goal for these types of governments is total control and total power, the, the dominion of man over other men. That's the desire. What Satan wants more than anything else in the world is a rival God who is set up in the world to express itself so that it can fight against the gospel. That's what Satan wants. He won't worship Jesus Christ. He wants him dead, which he got what he wanted, but then, you know, <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. Ha! <laughs> you see, evil, evil can only express itself in terms of numbers and sheer raw power. They, they need absolute control through what we call the collective, the state. Part of the reason I decided to just keep with what I was going to do is because of the situation in South Africa. There are situations in other nations that are very similar, and it's all Moloch. You, you realize that. That's what it is. See, evil, evil cannot win through service, right? They're serving one another. Evil can't win that way. Evil can't win by, by thinking of others before, before yourself. That's not the way of Satan. It's not. Uh, evil can only win by sheer force, by power, by oppression. See, Christianity teaches the exact opposite. Individual liberty. You have individual responsibility before God. You are going to answer for yourself on Judgment Day, not the person next to you. It's just you and God in that room. Christianity teaches love and self-sacrifice and giving of yourself. 
Satan just wants, wants all the money for himself. But Christians tithe for the kingdom of God, for a greater purpose that's outside of us. Satan does not understand these things. In order to fight against the gospel, Satan needs the state. He needs Moloch. He needs power. He needs control. He needs what the book of Revelation calls the beast. In order to use these authoritarian tactics to put pressure to persecute the church. To pressure the church into submission. See, Satan, Satan can't win a hand-to-hand combat, right? A man-to-man uh, a, a war, a decentralized war against the church. He can't do it. He can't do it because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Because Jesus owns the weapons too. See, Satan doesn't win that way. He needs power. He needs authority. He needs numbers. If there's anything we learn in the Old Testament is that God doesn't care about the numbers. Gideon can take 300 men and go to work. He doesn't need the numbers. He needs the faithfulness of God's people. That's what he needs. Satan needs all those things, but he can't because he doesn't inherently possess them, so he has to try to get them. He can only make progress in a war against Christ when nations give themselves over to Moloch worship. But, you know, we, he can't actually make progress. You know that. Not with Christ who's on the throne ruling and reigning over the nations with a rod of iron. See, even, even when totalitarian Moloch worshipers like communism do their absolute worst to Christians, our God can make the rocks cry out. Even in persecution, Christ is in control. That's how authoritarian God is. How much power God has. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You kill a Christian, ten more will come. Even in death, there is victory. Why? Because our God is the God of resurrection. So the basic power, the basic issue here is one of power. Who has it? Who's allowed to have it? And the fact is, total comprehensive power and control cannot be found in socialism or communism. Or even in democracy. Total power cannot be vested anywhere else on the earth because total power belongs in the throne room of God. See, total power, total power can only be found in the Lordship of Christ and the triune Godhead. Amen? That's where total power resides. Only God is omnipresent. Only God is omnipotent, right? Only God is omniscient. Only God can predestine. Only God has these authorities. The state cannot possibly rival the Creator God, though it will, of course, exert all energy and resources trying to do so. See, this desire for total control of people works itself out in a variety of ways. Government schools, compulsory taxation, the eradication of things like private property, Um, Judicial supremacy, where the courts rule over the nations. Um, Executive power that's given to presidents. That's a big debate in my country. Can a president just write a law and then that's good to go? Does he have the authority to do that? Not, Not really, not in our Constitution. Centralized banking, control of money. All these things Satan needs to rule over the nations. Yet there's a principle, though, that we need to learn. The one in power has the right to be a source of law. 
The one in power has the right to be the source of law. Try to hear me out. The one in power has the right to be the source of law. See, in the Bible, God is the all-powerful ruler. He has the authority to legislate everything. God has the power, absolute authority, absolute power, which only God possesses, means, though, that God declares law. He declares that which is true, that which is a command, that which is something you should obey. (laughs) Evil men suppressing the truth about God, all they can do is try to usurp God. And thus they try to grasp for power. And the only way to do this is by the collective, the Moloch state. So I want to emphasize something this morning. One, Moloch worship happens when Christians allow the state to gain more control than what God's word says it should have. That's what happens, just so you know. When Christians choose to allow it to happen. And two, Moloch worship continues when Christians get lazy and do not speak prophetically to the nations they are called to disciple. See, in the United States, we, we, ha- we have a, a major problem. We have this growing centralized government that spends too much and controls too much. Okay, we... <laughs> I was driving yesterday by the, the U.S. Embassy, and it's situated up on the hill. And I thought, of course it is. Of course it's got satellites. It's on the hill so it can see everyone. Watch what they're doing. And I just laughed and said, that's my country. (laughs) I'm sorry. We want a country that, we have a country that spends uh, nearly a trillion dollars every year for quote-unquote defense. We spend more money in our nation on defense than the next, like, 12 on the list combined. You would think our country was getting attacked every five minutes. (laughs) We spend so much. We control so much. And dear Zambia, my friends... You have, you have China on your doorstep, communist China, pagan China, atheist China. They're knocking on that door. And I just so you know, they got Moloch in their back pocket. My, my country's government is just fixated on more control. China is already doing the same with its communist system. You know the routine. You've seen it before. It's happening. In order to have total power, one must constantly strive for it. There's never enough of power. So men will completely exhaust themselves in pursuit of it. And what we must not do is pretend like it just doesn't matter. We must not pretend that Moloch is somehow not doing the same thing here in your country. You know, three nights ago... um, One of you asked me about what the Zambian church can learn from the failures of the American churches. My answer was simple. Don't be apathetic. Don't be apathetic. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Don't neglect what I'm telling you today. Don't believe the lie from Satan that what I'm telling you doesn't matter and that this is Old Testament outdated nonsense. Christians, listen... (laughs) 
I love you. I'm, I am one. <laughs> but Christians have the uncanny ability to be the last to find out about something and the last to do something about it. Why? I don't know why, I don't know why it is. Perhaps it's immaturity or, or yet yeah, even far worse, it's direct obstinance and defiance against God. I don't know why it is. Uh, either way, we know that repentance is a way of life, amen? We have a whole lot of repenting to do every single day. Renewing your mind day by day. Now, what I want to do with the rest of my time, the, the rest of your time, the rest of our time together, is to make sure that we understand just how important it is that we take seriously the Great Commission. Okay? Quite literally, quite literally, people's lives are at stake. We don't have time to ignore the Great Commission. Our abortion holocaust has gotten so bad, the church just doesn't care. So what, what does my church do? We go to other churches on Sunday while they're meeting to try and engage them. And oftentimes we're kicked out and the police is called. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're trying to build a fire in the church because the fire is being quenched. So people's lives are at stake. We don't have time to be apathetic. We don't have time to sit on our hands. We don't have time to, 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 to worry and, and, and only pray. And pray we must. See, I have, I've tried to emphasize different aspects of the Great Commission during our conference. And if you want to listen to those, you can find it on our church's website. It's just crosscrownchurch.com. You can go there and listen if you like. I've spent so much time emphasizing the different things about Christ having all authority. He had all authority in heaven and on the earth, right? The baptizing of the nations, the teaching of the nations to obey the what of God, the suggestions of God. No, the commands of God. That's part of the Great Commission because it is great. It is a great responsibility. It is a, it is a great task. It's a great promise too. But the key to understanding its greatness lies in understanding its meaning and its direction. What does it mean and where is it going? And what I'm suggesting today is that Moloch worship, being our greatest external threat, ought to be the primary target of our work. Which means that you're going to have to repent for not being involved in politics. We're going to have to voice our concerns of what's happened in South Africa. Some of you weren't here, but I had a friend an acquaintance, he's from Pennsylvania, he was in Joburg just a few days ago, he got mugged and robbed and hurt, almost killed. And nobody stopped it. There's no justice. It's Moloch worship. So we're going to have to repent for not being involved. We're going to have to repent for not speaking up. We're going to have to repent for neglecting this area of God's governance. We're going to have to do the hard work of repenting for being apathetic about what Christ demands from us in the Great Commission. In fact, we're going to have to repent for not challenging Moloch. Moloch must be challenged because Moloch stands in the way of the Great Commission. Now, in America, this is the common response of the sort of 
to this type of discussion. Here's what I usually get. But we're supposed to just preach the gospel, Pastor Mutale. They don't call me that. That's just you. We're, not, we're, we're supposed to just preach the gospel. We're not supposed to get involved in politics. After all, there's a separation of church and state, and God just wants us to be on church on Sunday. That's all that's required. Besides, you can't legislate morality. What are you doing? Now, you may think that I'm lying about that response, but I hear it all the time. My friends hear it all the time. I'm not exaggerating. I'm serious. I've, I've heard it. In fact, whenever we challenge the Church of Jesus Christ to repent for their apathy regarding the abortion holocaust, that's what we are told. Why are you meddling politics? As if the murder of unborn children is only a political matter and not a moral matter? Which just goes to show you how Christians, quite frankly, can be the dumbest people on the earth. Renew your mind. Don't empty it. <laughs> now we're preaching. Again, we're the last to know about something and the last to do something about it until it's too late. Oh, there's a false god set up in our nation. <laughs> I had no idea. Let me explain how this works. There's a chance that you have been told that the law of God is abolished entirely. We're supposed to just love people. <laughs> Wrong. Of course, we know the ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Christ. They've been abolished, right? Thank God we don't have to leave here and go home and sacrifice goats at an altar. But the civil and thus the moral components of the law of God in the scriptures, Christ has come to establish and enforce that's what Matthew 5 says. And besides, the Bible says very clearly in no uncertain terms that love is what? The fulfillment of the law. Romans 13. You want to love someone? Treat them lawfully. Don't steal their things. Don't mug them. Don't kill them. That's love. In one weekend, Jesus Christ dealt with our relationship to the law. On Friday, he died on the cross. The curses of the law, the condemnation of the law in us was murdered with Jesus Christ on the cross. But on Sunday, he rose from the dead. The blessings of the law were then laid on us. Your relationship with the law changed on Easter weekend because you died with Christ and you were raised with Christ. You died to the condemnation of the law. You were raised to the blessing of the law. In other words, you are free from the law's con condemnation, but guess what? You are not free from its demand for obedience. See, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we can now truly obey God. And this means that the church needs to repent for being so self-allergic to the law of God. As Paul says in Romans 7, 12, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But let me explain how this works itself out a little further. There is something missing in Christian theology today, something which affects our understanding of the Great Commission. It's this. The church is a political social order. You know that? The church is a political social order. Meaning, we have economic transactions and law that guides us with how we're to interact with each other and the world. 
You obey the law when your friend is not feeling well and you go and serve them. You are obeying the law when you're being honest and trustworthy. You are obeying the law when you reflect the God of the universe. You are building an order of society and the church is the primary means of doing that. The church is where love and economics practically pays itself out. The family too. You can't say that the Old Testament law is completely gone. The, you know, the Christians today, we don't have anything to do with the law anymore. When Jesus tells us that he affirms the law, he didn't come to abolish it, and he tells us, what is the summary of the law? How can you summarize it, boil it down? Two commands, what are they? Love God and love one another. That's law-abiding Christianity. It's, it's not loving your neighbor if we remain silent regarding unjust laws. It's not loving your neighbor if we allow civil government to steal and plunder. It's not loving your neighbor if we allow government bureaucrats to encroach on our civil liberties, which are granted by God, not governments. It's not loving your neighbor when we remain silent in the face of xenophobia. Some of you know about this. Maybe you heard this week. <laughs> I couldn't even go get lunch at a mall. They shut it down. But I'm like, hey, I'm with you. I just want to eat something, though. Pastor Mutale will no longer be Mutale if he doesn't get lunch. See, you, you can't obey the law of God when you try to get rid of the law of God. It's absolutely inescapable. Now, regarding the law of God, I want you to see the train of thought here. Remember, there's no real, you, you've maybe heard this in America, you know, we, we like to say there's a separation of church and state. It's not in our Constitution. Thomas Jefferson wrote it in a letter to some churches in Danbury, Connecticut. There, there's a distinction between the two, but there's not a separation. Okay? So don't buy into the lie. There's a distinction between the two, not a separation. And, and both institutions, the church, the family, the state, and the individual, all those in institutions are uh, established by God. They're covenantal institutions that are established by God, and each of those institutions requires jurisdiction and authority and function and order. All right, so when the state's out in left field controlling everybody, that's just as bad as a father who thinks his job is to just control and manipulate his family. He's called to serve his family, to lay down his life for his family. But this doctrine is ignorantly perpetuated by American Christians. It's opened the door for Moloch worship to grow and grow and grow. So what I'm saying is that civil government is a good thing, just like family government and self-government and church government. They are good concepts that God has put in place. But I'm saying that they, all of those can only be good to the degree that it honors God all the way through. So here's how this works. Because let me tell you, um, if you can get this, you are 10 steps ahead of most Christians in America. And I don't, I'm not being sarcastic. You will be. Follow this train of thought, especially if you're a note taker, but religion informs ethics. Okay? Religion informs ethics. 
Religion informs ethics. Ethics informs morality. Okay? Follow Follow the train of thought here. Religion informs ethics. Ethics informs morality. Morality informs law. Do you see how these go? Religion gives you your, your, your ethics. Ethics tells you about morality. Morality tells you and informs you about law. This idea, and I'll say it again in a minute for those who didn't catch it, but this idea that the government is somehow exempt from obeying Christ is absolutely, pardon me, stupid and unbiblical. You literally have to rip out pages and pages and pages of your Bible to come to that ridiculous conclusion. But make sure you understand the train of thought here. Religion informs ethics. Ethics informs morality. Morality informs law. When we suggest that we cannot legislate morality, that's what they say in America. We can't outlaw abortion because you can't legislate morality. Well, let me tell you, morality is all you can legislate. What is law? Let's work backwards from what I just said. Law declares that which is right and wrong, right? Which is a moral decision. Moral decisions presuppose an ethical framework that you're working from, and ethical frameworks come from your religious presuppositions. If you can get this, you are 10 steps ahead of American Christians. Hallelujah. Because you need to come tell us that. Because we're not getting it. We don't get it. So thus, what we call political or public social law reveals the religion behind it all. Whatever's legislated proves the God that's in obedience to, right? That's how this works. There's never, if there will be a theocracy, which just means the rule of God, theos, kratos, two words. It's not whether there will, if there will be, but rather which God is going to win out, Moloch or Christ. See, Christians who care about the Great Commission are Christians who are invested in a theocracy war. You're already in the theocracy war. My country's just too busy trying to get bigger cars, bigger houses, more money. That's all they care about. We are in a theocracy war. Whose God is going to win the hearts and minds of people? Whose God is going to legislate proper morality and law? Whose God is going to establish justice for the weak? Justice for fellow Zambians in South Africa? Justice for my American acquaintance? Who's going to deal with that? Will it be the law of God or the laws of men? See, listen. If we won't have the Ten Commandments of God, guess what we will have? We will have a million commandments of men. And this threat to the gospel, I promise you, must not go unchallenged. You see, the, the currently, current theocracy in my nation is, is morally repugnant. It's defunct. It's, it's diabolical. The Supreme Court of my nation has decided to take upon itself the unconstitutional authority to declare morality by granting unrestricted abortion access and affirming things like same-sex marriage. You know that in my country. It happened in 2010. 
as if the court makes a law. The court gives an opinion of a law. But somehow everybody's, you know, okay, let's go ahead and obey them because they're our rulers. And we don't even elect our, our, our um, judges. The president appoints them. How messed up is that? Trust me, if I could get in the White House to preach this message, I would. But they're probably going to be listening to this because we spy on everybody. Look at our embassy. And they won't let me in, but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> if, if we won't have heaven as the highest appeals court, Moloch is going to take supremacy. Okay? Which means that if you care about the gospel and the Great Commission, you must care about social health and liberty. Society is only as healthy as its foundation. And if its foundations of social order is unbiblical, it will crumble and you will get anarchy. You will get South Africa. We cannot legislate ourselves into supreme power. God will not have any more rivals. We can't legislate ourselves into holiness. The Holy Spirit will have no rivals. We can't legislate ourselves into peace. Why? Because the Prince of Peace has no rivals. When God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he was getting at the heart of all idolatry to know and determine good on one's own volition. That was the temptation in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Surely God didn't say, right? You can be like God, knowing or determining good and evil for yourself. And of course, they took the bait. And we plunged ourselves into darkness and only the light of the gospel can shine. Moloch worship is simply man's attempt at grasping for total power and total authority. It is man wanting to dominate and control other men. It's man wanting to be a god. When men give themselves to Moloch, the divine state, they are giving themselves to coercive measures. They're giving themselves to domination, not dominion. They are selling their freedom for the chains of immoral legislation. They are trading liberty in Christ for slavery in Moloch. And the only way Moloch can carry out his vengeance is through total destruction and the total anarchy of man and society. Abortion is Moloch worship. Polluting the money system so that it keeps people poor instead of prosperous. That is Moloch worship. Sexual deviancy is Moloch worship. The question is, what are you going to do about it, friends? One final word. Take care. Take care not to embrace a careful religion or what we can call an anti-fragile Christianity. If you want a safe life, don't follow Jesus. If you want to love the things of the world, don't follow Jesus. If you want to do things your way, don't follow Jesus. If you want to prop yourself up in pride and pound your chest and yell and scream, look how great I am, look how much power I have. If you want to do that, don't follow Jesus. If you'd rather not confront the principalities and powers, don't follow Jesus.
If you'd rather Moloch worship go uncontested and unhindered in your country, in other countries, don't follow Jesus. Why? Why not? That seems intolerant. That seems narrow-minded. That seems rude for you to say such things. Why would I say that? Well, let me tell you. Because Jesus Christ demands that you abandon all of that nonsense and follow him with your whole life. When he said, take up your cross, he did not say, take up a pillow. <laughs> the crosses back then, you know, they, it wasn't nice and shiny and varnished like the benches you're sitting on. It's going to rub your back. It's going to hurt. You're going to get splinters the size of rulers. You're, you're going to hurt. It's going to be painful at times. Jesus didn't promise you that it was just going to be okie-dokie. He didn't promise you everything is going to be bueno. If you want your life to count, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be obedient to the God who made you in his image, if you want to follow and serve the living God and carry out his will, follow Jesus Christ. Follow him to the doorsteps of Moloch's temple and say, you are a rival God to the King of Kings and you are not permitted to be here. You must step down. You must obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a calling right there. Let's pray. Father, we give you the glory and the praise and the honor because you have, in your sovereignty, somehow brought me here for this time. And I'm, I'm humbled by that. I'm amazed by that. But I'm also encouraged. I'm encouraged by each one here. I'm encouraged by the students of UCC. I'm thankful for their boldness. I'm thankful, God, that they're going to go and serve the least of these in the prison. God, I, I'm grateful and I pray that your spirit would bring anointing to them, bring healing to them, bring them confidence, bring the scriptures to mind when they need to be brought to mind so that they can speak life into a place where there's not a whole lot of it. I pray, Father God, that Zambia would be a light to the nations. That the church here in this beautiful country would be so consumed with the gospel and the Great Commission that they're sending missionaries, they're establishing churches, they are moving and advancing the kingdom of God in a powerful way. And I pray that that would happen so that Christians in my nations, my nation would repent and would get on board, would stop allowing Moloch to go unchallenged, would stop allowing injustice. God, would you use Zambia powerfully? Would you use these students powerfully? We give you the glory and the praise and the honor because Jesus Christ is our King. He is on the throne and you have given us your spirit. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.